Then Joash said to the priests, All the de dedicated silver brought to the Lord's temple, census silver, silver from vows, and all silver voluntarily given for the Lord's temple. Each priest is to take it from his assessor and repair whatever damage is found in the temple. But by the 23rd year of the reign of King Joash, the priests had not repaired the damage to the temple. So King Joash called the priest Jehoiada and other priests and asked, Why haven't you repaired the temple's damage? Since you haven't, don't take any silver from your assessors. Instead, hand it over for the repair of the temple. So the priests agreed that they would receive no silver from the people and would not be the ones to repair the temple's damage. Then the priest Jehoiada took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one enters the Lord's temple. The priests who guarded the threshold put into the chest all the silver that was brought to the Lord's temple. Whenever they saw there was a large amount of silver in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest would go bag up and tally the silver found in the Lord's temple. Then they would give the weighed silver to those doing the work, those who oversaw the Lord's temple. They in turn would pay it out to those working on the Lord's temple, the carpenters, the builders, the masons, and the stone cutters, and would use it to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the damage to the Lord's temple and for all expenses for the temple's repairs. However, no silver bowls, wick trimmers, sprinkling basins, trumpets, or any articles of gold or silver were made for the Lord's temple from the contributions brought to it. Instead, it was given to those doing the work, and they repaired the Lord's temple with it. No accounting was required from the men who received the silver to pay, to pay those doing the work since they worked with integrity. The silver from the guilt offering and the sin offering was not brought to the Lord's temple since it belonged to the priests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a kind of a weird text, right? This is 2 Kings 12. I'm reading this in part because this is part of my readings. We've been going through the Samuels and the Kings books, right? And this is kind of this weird space in 2 Kings where you have a, a collection of, of treason that's been happening uh, between... Um, the anointing of, of Jehu as, as Israel's king, uh, who he's basically anointed to destroy the the family of Ahab, who is Israel's king. Remembering that that uh, after the reign of Solomon, right, uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam basically end up splitting the the land of Israel in two. God takes away ten of the tribes from. Solomon's house. Rehoboam, his son, is a complete jerk. Jeroboam happens to be one of Solomon's former slaves, and he becomes king in Israel, and it divides the kingdom of Israel in two. And so you have Israel and you have Judah. Judah, well, Judah and Benjamin, but it's always called the, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Judah being one of the largest, most powerful, is where David was from, all those things. Israel being these, these ten northern tribes. And Ahab was the king in Samaria, in, in Israel. He was the one that Elijah had all the issues with, right? And Elisha has all the issues with. He was married to Jezebel, who was not a very nice lady. Uh, they worshipped Baal, all these things. Well, God chooses Jehu, one of the commanders of the army, to be king. And he's chosen... Uh, through prophecy first to say that someone's going to come along to destroy the family of Ahab, 
uh, to bring his sins upon him and his entire family. Uh, and Jehu is the one that does it. And he shows up and he kills everybody, <laughs> including getting the leadership involved in killing everybody. Uh, and then he, he does this thing where he gets all the Baal worship, the Baal priests together, the ones who worshipped this this idol Baal. And they bring him in. They bring them all into their temple, saying that they're going to have this great feast. And then he sends his in his army, and he kills everybody. Well, the same a similar thing happens in uh, in Judah, where uh, Ahaziah was king. He dies, and his mother takes over for him. And she actually goes through and tries to kill off everybody. But uh, God uses. Uh, a, a, a woman to save uh, the youngest son, I believe, uh, Ahaziah, Joash, to make sure that he's saved uh, from being killed by Athaliah, who then eventually gets gets killed uh, because this priest, Jehoiada, uh, becomes sort of proxy ruler, <laughs> takes over in some respects, brings Joash in as king, as a young boy, uh, six or seven years old, if I remember. And it's under Joash and Jehoiada that these reforms come to the kingdom of Judah. Whereas Israel ends up being this place in which it's just king after king after king after king after king. God continues to do something with, with Judah. And one of the things that happens here is this work to try and repair the temple. It's fallen into disrepair in part because the, the money that has been brought in to uh, take care of the temple has been had to be used to pay bribes, to, to pay off uh, the Arameans and others to keep them from destroying Judah, uh, as well as to hire mercenaries and all sorts of things. Plus, there's some, some thinking that there was some underhanded deeds among the priests as far as how the money was being used and how it should be used and, and all of those things. And so here finally Joash gets upset with the priests, gets upset with basically the church saying this money's been coming in and you're not doing anything with it for what it's supposed to be used for, which is to upkeep the temple, to make it mean something. To, 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 it's supposed to be this place, it's supposed to be important to to, to you, uh, to your worship, to your job, to God, all, all these things. And you're not doing what's supposed to be done with it. And so it ends up that he says, you know what? No, you're, you're, all the, the taxes, all the assessments, all the, all the things, the, the money that, that the people of Judah were expected, and people from Israel who had come to Jerusalem for worship, who were expected to pay the temple tax, all these things. It's not going to go to you. It's going to go to the repair of the temple, and that's it. That they were able to get the the offerings that were brought for for guilt and for sin, but all the other things were going to go to the repair of the temple. And if you notice, it also says that that there were no trinkets made for the temple. There's no elaborate candelabras and, and all these other things. It was all the silver was being used to pay workers to upkeep the temple in part because it was falling into disrepair. It was falling apart. And I think it, you know, living in an arid place now, <laughs> I could see that 
happening <laughs> quite regularly. Things drying out, things falling apart, needing to, to put new stones in that cracked, uh, repairing uh, wooden beams, repairing the inside of the temple, because remember it's supposed to be paneled with cedar, and you would think with the arid air and, and all those other things that those, some of those cedar boards would probably have to be replaced quite often. Because what does it say of, uh, of us? How often is it that we'll go into a place and the first thing that we see sets the, the, the story for us of what we think of the place? You go into a hole-in-the-wall restaurant. It's not the most attractive thing, is it? And yet you get a chance to taste the food maybe and maybe it's good or maybe it's bad, right? But your first thinking is, oh, I'm not going to go there because look at it. That's the same thing with the temple. If the temple's falling apart, it's going to cause uh, some major issues, both with the leadership going, dude, why are we not taking care of this? Uh, but also with the people going, well, why should we care about coming here for worship if the priests don't even care? It becomes a, a thing for us, right, as the church. If we neglect the most basic things of what it is that we do, if we don't really care about how our church looks, how our service looks, if we don't, if we just show up and just meh, whatever, people who come are going to go, well, these people don't care, so why should I? If we don't, uh, well, here's one, parents and grandparents, if we want our kids to grow up being ones who go to church but we don't take them and we don't make it a priority for ourselves and teach them the priority of it what do we expect is going to happen when they get older are they going to see it as a priority probably not and so here the story about the 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 repairing of the temple is this place for us as Christians, as disciples, to understand our own priorities, to understand that if, if something like growing in faith and love, feeding our souls, helping ourselves, our friends, our kids, our families, our neighbors, to come into encounter with God, to hear his word, to receive from his table, to learn how to pray, to sing together, to gather together in a space in which we are different, right? That's what we looked at yesterday. If, if, if we are to pass that on, we have to make it a priority. We have to say, this is important. And so we do this. Even on days when we're like, I really don't want to. But yet we understand the importance of it and that we need to for the sake of the future generations. And so as we continue the study of the Lord's Prayer, our prayers, right, are that when our kids get older and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and all those things, that they might know of a place where they go each week to say the Lord's Prayer and join with us in it as well to call God ours and to call him our Father to make that a priority, that he might be theirs, he might be ours, 
and we might gather together with them in that understanding of this God who loves us, who gives to us all things, that they might know that to be true as well. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, with these words, we ask that you would entice us so that we come to believe that you are truly our Father and we are truly your children. Remember that we may ask you boldly and with complete confidence, just as loving children ask their loving Father, knowing that you hear us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, church, go in peace. Serve the Lord, and we will see you tomorrow.